I don't know if you, any of you are avid YouTubers, uh, going on YouTube, subscribing to YouTube channels and um, listening to all sorts of people who are on there. My attention was drawn through a BBC News headline a couple of weeks ago to Technoblade. Technoblade uh, is an American YouTuber. His real name is Alex, but he goes by the name of Technoblade and has 14 million followers. So 14 million people uh, following him and no doubt more tuning into his videos that he puts out on YouTube. Two weeks ago, a video appeared called So Long Nerds. I don't know if any of you saw, saw it. Within two days, it had had 48 million views. So Long Nerds. And it begins with a man in a chair against a bike. Uh, there's a white background, a chair. There's a man sitting in a chair and a dog walks up to him and he picks the dog up and takes hold of the dog. It's the father of Alex and he begins by saying this. I'm Technoblade. I'm Technoblade's dad. He wrote a message and asked me to read it to you. And then he goes on and reads the message in this six minute video. Hello, everyone. Technoblade here. If you're watching this, I am dead. And tragically, Alex, aged 23, had died of cancer. The video finishes with uh, the father um, in tears saying, I miss Technoblade. Thank you to all for everything. He stands up, he walks off, and there's just a, an empty chair left in front of this white screen. I think that epitomizes the world in which we live and what the world ultimately has to offer, which is nothing. There was just no hope there at all. It was very sad and moving to watch. Richard Dawkins was an evolutionary professor at Oxford University. I've quoted him before, uh, an evolutionary biologist. And in one of his books, he wrote this in River Out of Eden. We live in a universe that has no design, no purpose, no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. It's really saying life is meaningless and life is hopeless. David Starkey, British historian and broadcaster and an atheist, commenting on wokeism. Uh, we're all familiar with woke and wokeism. It's been described as the new religion of the West. And uh, David Starkey, an atheist, says this about it. Within wokeism, there is no repentance, no redemption and no salvation. The conclusion of all that, that there is no hope. We do live in desperate days and I'm sure we're very aware of that. Covid's on the increase again. Living costs are rising dramatically. Governments are crumbling. Sri Lanka this week. I don't know if you saw the headline about Italy as well. We're not doing a lot better. War continues, not just in Ukraine and very sad to see all that's going on, but across the world. We live in a world of very little hope and, and maybe you're feeling something of that right now. Just 
Where are we going? What happens next? And hope can seem to be fading. When Peter writes this letter to uh, Christians, he uh, he's writing to to tell them how to live in a broken world, or maybe better to say, how to live in a hopeless world. The Christians at this time, when Peter wrote, they were facing difficulties. They were facing hostility, simply because they were Christians, people opposing them, and facing even persecution. Warren Wiersbe, who's a commentator, I like uh, to read uh, his title for this book of 1 Peter is Where There is Christ, There is Hope. Where there is Christ, there is hope. This this letter is a wonderful letter and I, I commend it to you. And I'd say don't go home and listen to the sermon again. Go home and read the book of 1 Peter. Read this letter. It's a wonderful letter. It's not a textbook giving us instruction. It's a letter from Peter, from the heart of God, giving us exhortation. It contains wonderful truths to be experienced and enjoyed. Uh, This last week, we've heard from Colin twice. I think last Sunday evening, we heard from Colin Colin Garner speaking on Colossians chapter 4. Then on Thursday night, uh, briefly at the prayer meeting on Romans chapter 12. And one of the things that really blessed me was just as he He really was saying, and he just let the Bible speak. And as we read through that passage in Colossians, and again, as we read through that passage in Romans, I was was very challenged by it, and particularly verses, uh, I think it was verses 9 to 12 in Romans. Uh, It's just direct words from God challenging us as to how how to live. And and, and I think this book of 1 Peter, uh, yes, it contains some wonderful truths, and there are things explained But it is a letter from the heart of God. It is to be experienced and it is to be enjoyed. It speaks of hope. It speaks of hope in a hopeless world. And hope, uh, as I said, Warren Wiersbe's title is Where There Is Christ, There Is Hope. Hope isn't just a New Testament idea. It's there in the Old Testament as well. God is a God of great hope. God is good. God is compassionate. God is kind. God is generous. And there in the Old Testament, time and time again, you find that to be the case. In the book of Jeremiah, and uh, it's a book I like to read, uh, book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah's in Jerusalem, and he sends a letter to some of them who have already been taken captive and gone into exile in the land of Babylon. And he sends them a letter. And in that letter, uh, we read this verse, and many of you will be familiar with it, I'm sure. He writes this, speaking of what God is saying to them. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. A letter to them. This is what God is saying. I know the plans, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And the message of the gospel is the same. The message of Christ is the same. Yes, there's warnings of pending judgment, but that judgment is for those who will not listen, who will not repent, who think they know better. God is a God who is kind and compassionate and generous and offers hope in Christ. Earlier on in that book of Jeremiah, 
Um, Jeremiah writes, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Is your hope in him? Uh, Jeremiah 17, 7, that reference. Jeremiah 29, 11, the other one. Is your hope in the Lord this morning? Is your hope in Jesus Christ? Or are you put, trying to put it in other things? Whatever it might be, your money, your education, your job, your family, your friends. They're all good things, but ultimately, the only real hope we have is in Jesus Christ. Let's think for a minute about what is hope. Uh, there was an um, uh, editor and writer in America in the early 20th century called H.L. Mencken, and he wrote this. Hope, a pathological belief in the occurrence of the impossible. A pathological belief in the occurrence of the impossible. The Cambridge Dictionary is a little bit more positive. It defines hope as to want something to happen or to be true and usually have a good reason to think that it might. That's a bit more positive, but there's still some doubt in there. But the New Testament definition of hope is different. The hope that the New Testament speaks about is certainty. It's not doubt and uncertainty. But certainty, it is so much more than the way people use the phrase, well, well, the phrase, well, well I hope so. Um, and we do use that phrase, well, well, I hope so, I hope it'll happen, thinking it, it probably won't, it might, won't, but I hope it does. The hope the New Testament speaks of, the hope that Christ gives and offers is a certain hope. It's a, a hope that has foundations. Not just some airy, fairy, feeling type of hope. It has foundations because it's rooted in the promises of God. It's a hope that isn't rooted in an ideology, very often as politics is rooted in ideology. And ideologies can be helpful, can be good. But this hope that Christ offers is not rooted in an ideology, but it's rooted in a person. It's rooted in Jesus Christ. It's rooted in one who is trustworthy, the one who has kept his word, the one who can always be trusted. And Peter begins this letter, and it's really the first nine verses or verses three through to twelve. He begins this letter with this exhortation to live in hope, to live in hope, an exhortation to trust in Christ and to live in Christ. There's nowhere else to build our lives but what Peter offers here as God offers in Christ, an exhortation to trust in Christ and to live in Christ. Because it's in Christ that it's the only place that true hope is found. The world offers all sorts of hope, uh, peace talks, which have been over the years, uh, new leaders in our politics, but it's a false hope. It's a false security. Uh, Christ is the only place that lasting hope is found. Other hopes, yeah, they might be all right for a little while, but other hopes fade. And Christ is the only place that eternal hope, everlasting hope, hope for eternity is found. It's a hope that goes beyond the grave. 
And we're going to look at verses 3 to 7 and see five things to help us to live in this hope. Five reasons why we can live in this hope. Well, actually, I've got six, but the first one is, um, I didn't come out of a verse, but, uh, but I wrote it down afterwards. Uh, the, first, the first reason, the first thing to remember uh, to help us to live in hope, that, that life is difficult. My children always uh, didn't use the, they never liked me saying, um, you know, they would say, it's not fair. And I'd say, that's right, life isn't fair. And I'd just irritate them and probably irritate them now for saying it. Uh, but life is difficult. Life isn't fair. Life is difficult. God, God doesn't promise us an easy life. God doesn't say, trust in Christ and then all your problems will be solved. And you'll have an easy life. In many ways, it's the opposite, because to, because to live in Christ, to trust in Christ, as it were, invites new problems, because the devil does not like that. And there are those who will oppose that. Annie Johnson Flint was a, a writer of many Christian poems and songs. She was born on Christmas Day in 1866. And one of the songs she wrote, songs she wrote has the first verse, which says this, God has not promised skies always blue. Flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. And it goes on to say the things that God hasn't promised. They are realities of the life that we live. Life is tough. Life is difficult. Many of you will know the the mantra of my life, as it were, that, that life is tough, but God is good. And God is trustworthy. So here are five things to, from this passage to help us to keep going, to live in hope. Five things to remember when life is difficult. Firstly, verse three, we've been given a fresh start. We've been given a fresh start. There's nothing quite like a new start. One of the things probably said before that I do for people is sort their computers out. And uh, they, they bring them to me and uh, they'll be slow and struggling and everything getting confused. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that. And what I normally do is I get the data off it, wipe the computer clean, reinstall the operating system and give it a fresh start. There's nothing quite like a fresh start. Look at what. Peter writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The new start that God offers in Christ, it's not a patch up. It's a new start. It's a new birth. And you can't get any newer than that. Spiritual life, life with Christ, to be a Christian, it only comes through a new birth. It doesn't come from being brought up in a Christian home, it doesn't come from going along to church, it doesn't come from trying to live a good life. It comes through a new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What a wonderful thing to experience this new birth, to know Christ, 
to know that you're forgiven. I still remember and often refer to the day when I first prayed and called out to God and asked him to to forgive me. It was a, a feeble prayer in many ways, but God is a faithful God. Calling out to him, confessing my sin, asking him to forgive me and change me and give me that new start. And to this day, I can remember, I can picture it, walking down the road, knowing the burden of my sin was gone, that I was forgiven. Because of what I had done, but because of what Christ had done at Calvary. When we're trusting in Christ, we have a fresh start. It's always good to remember. This fresh start, this new start, it's from God. That's what this verse says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. It's a fresh start which comes from God's mercy. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth. We don't deserve it. What wonder, what amazement that in the mercy of God, little old me and you can be forgiven and have a fresh start. It gives us a living hope. And this is what this verse says. He's given his new birth into a living hope. Because we have a living saviour, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. And that it's only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ had died on the cross, the cruel death which he did, and if that had been the end, what good is that to, to us? But Jesus rose from the dead triumphant over the grave, triumphant over hell, triumphant over death. Uh, He's given his new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it doesn't end there because I was preaching on a few weeks ago. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's in the presence of God for us on our behalf. What a wonderful new start that we've been given. It's not just like... The computer, which has had that little new start and a few months down the line, will be back where it was. But we have new life in Christ. Do you have it? Do you have that new life? Are you trusting in Christ? Have you turned from your sin, realised you're not what you should be, said sorry to God and called upon God and asked Christ to forgive you and be your saviour? never done that I'd urge you to do that and when you do that he comes in he cleanses you he forgives you he changes you his spirit comes and dwells within you and you have that new power within to live that new life in Christ by God's power at work in you the Bible says we need to repent to turn from our sin we need to believe which isn't just head knowledge but but yes no and trust and call out to Christ to be our saviour. So there it is, verse 3. Firstly, we've been given a fresh start. But then verse 4, it goes on to say that we're receiving a rich inheritance. Um, I never know quite where to start reading here because it's all commas and one sentence that goes on. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given his new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. We're receiving a rich inheritance. 
An inheritance is something we don't deserve. I remember receiving £600 inheritance from a friend of my grandmother's. Uh, Auntie Marjorie, we used to call her. She wasn't my auntie, but she was a friend of my grandmother's. And um, she left uh, to me uh, £600 in a will. I'm not quite sure why, um, but she did. Did I deserve it? No. But it was an inheritance that I could receive and enjoy. We have a rich, rich inheritance of Christ, in Christ. The blessings which he pours out upon us. And what is this inheritance like? Well, it tells us it can never perish, spoil or fade. And most of the things that we have either perish, spoil or fade. But this inheritance that we have in Christ doesn't. It's not like that money, 600 pounds, 1999 I received. That's what's that, 23 years ago. 600 pounds then was quite a lot of money, but 600 pounds now, well, it's a lot less than it was not just then, but even just a year ago uh, with prices going up. But the inheritance we have in Christ, it doesn't perish. It doesn't spoil. It doesn't fade. And it's being kept for you. Uh, it's kept in heaven for you. Sometimes with our children, we they might receive something or have something and say, well, let me keep it safe for you. Um, and the, the inheritance that we have, uh, our life in Christ is being kept safe for us. It's a wonderful reassurance. Yes, we have the, the first in uh, the first the, the first instalment of it, the first fruits of it. Um, Colossians 1.27 speaks about Christ, the hope of glory. That's what we have if we're trusting in Christ, the hope of glory. A foretaste of the best that's yet to come. Uh, this inheritance that we have, it's been kept for us and it seems to speak that of us being kept for it as well. So there's the second one. In verse 4, we're receiving a rich inheritance. Then we come on to verse 5, and it tells us that it depends upon God, not us. It depends upon God, not us. Uh, this inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, which is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Through faith, we are shielded by God's power. If you're trusting in Christ, God is shielding you by his power. And we should be living lives which are trusting in that power, not in our own power. I think I'm speaking from my own experience, and maybe you find this as well, that so often, well, so often I try and live my Christian life in my strength in my abilities, in my experience, um, and, and so on. And we can do that, trying to live Christian life by our own strength. But we are called to live Christian lives by his strength, not ours. By the power of his spirit at work in us, not by our strength. We have the Spirit of God within us. Do not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. That Spirit, the Holy Spirit, at work in you to help you to live that life that God 
wants you to live. Does that just mean that we sit back and do nothing and God does it all? Far from that. There's so many exhortations of what we are to do. And notice that the first verses, first few words of this verse says, who through faith are shielded by God's power. We need to exercise faith. There's something that we have to do. And this power that can be at work in us and that is at work in us if we're trusting in Christ and seeking to live for him is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And the same power that not only raises from the dead but causes him to ascend into heaven at the right hand of God. Isn't that remarkable? That that power can be at work in us. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus when he's praying for them. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. This power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. I know I often read those verses, but I have to keep coming back to them to remind me the power that raised Christ from the dead and ascended him into heaven is the power that is at work in me. We depend upon God. We trust in him. We yield ourselves to him that he might work. It's a bit like the... um, uh, when I was uh, just preparing this, it came to mind the, the story of the woodpecker. Uh, you know when you get a little woodpecker pecking away at the wood and there he is on a telegraph pole and his little head's going at the amazing speed it does. It's amazing his brain doesn't fall out, but that's the marvel of creation. Um, but he's hammering away at the woodpecker. The woodpecker's hammering away at the telegraph pole when suddenly the telegraph pole is struck by lightning and boom! And the little woodpecker thinks... I never realised I had so much power in my beak. But you see the point. If we're trying to live our Christian lives by our strength and not his, then we won't be, won't get very far. But if we yield ourselves to him and if we trust him and through faith obey him and seek to walk with him and live for him, who knows what God can do in us and through us. We depend upon God. Uh, this hope, we can live in hope if we depend upon God, not upon us. And then the fourth thing to remember to help us to keep going, to live in hope, is that suffering and rejoicing are friends. Suffering and difficulties in trials and rejoicing in the Lord, they go together. They're friends. Look at what it says in verse, uh, where are we? Verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Very straightforward. In this, you rejoice, although now for a little while you may have to suffer all kinds of trials. I know there's people here who are suffering all kinds of trials. And I sometimes wonder how we can cope with those and many of us have experienced all kinds of trials. But Paul reminds them that suffering, Peter, sorry, reminds them that suffering and rejoicing are friends. He says to them, it won't be easy, 
But it's not for long. He says the same over in chapter 4, verse 12. He says, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. That's what the Christian life is like. And as Peter wrote this at the time in Rome when Nero was around, who wasn't a particularly good leader, um, around AD 64 when there were fires in Rome and they were blamed on the Christians and the Christians were persecuted. This is the context that Peter's writing into. And we may not be experiencing that, but we are experiencing all sorts of other things. But suffering and rejoicing go together. When you look in the Bible, it seems to me that suffering and joy are never far from each other. Think of Paul, the Apostle Paul. He faced many, many hardships in his life. But yet, he often speaks of joy. Just one verse. Uh, Philippians 4, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Written from a prison cell. He wasn't moping, feeling sorry for himself. I'm sure there were difficult days. But he's reminding those he's writing to and no doubt himself, to rejoice in the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles have been preaching the gospel, but they end up in trouble and uh, hauled before the Sanhedrin for doing it. And it says this, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they're being counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, or for the name of Jesus. They, they, They counted themselves worthy. What a joy, what a privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus. Jesus is the one who has made suffering and rejoicing friends. Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us about of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How do we live in hope? Remembering that suffering and difficulties and trials and rejoicing our friends. He says the same thing, a similar thing in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, speaking of Christ, you loved him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Isn't that wonderful? An inexpressible. I can't explain it. I can't express it, but I'm filled with it. And that's what we can have when we're trusting in Christ. Suffering and rejoicing uh, rejoicing our friends. And then fifthly from verse 7. Remember that your faith is precious. Your faith is precious. Verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. If you're trusting in Christ, the faith that you have in him, if you're trusting in Christ, you are a child of God. And God is the father who cares. The father who cares. Later on in the book, um, chapter 5, he says um, he says this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, do you not know that he cares for you? He cares for you. He cares for those who are trusting in Christ. And when it seems that nobody else does, we can be sure that he does. The faith 
our faith, the life that we have in Christ, is far more precious than gold. Gold is precious. And our life in Christ is precious. We are precious to him, a precious possession. And just as gold is refined by fire, you burn the gold to drive up the dross, to to increase its value, to make it more precious. God works through the trials and the difficulties that we face. He's not the author of those things, but he works through those things. Remarkable that God can take what the devil uses for evil and turn it into good. God can work through those things to refine us and make us more like Christ. And what's God's purpose for us? What does God want for us? What does he want for you? If you're trusting in Christ, that you would live lives of hope. That you would live lives which are uh, to the praise and glory and honour of Christ. Live in hope. Hope, it's the, it's the antidote to anxiety. It's it, hope. It stops us panicking because God is sovereign and victory is certain. Hope, it steadies the Christian in the in life's difficulties. It's what's kept the martyrs going as they face death for their faith. Hope is attractive to the hopeless. And God can use it to bring others to Christ, to say, why is that? How can you have such hope in such difficult situations? That uh, poem that I mentioned at the beginning, God has not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. It has a chorus, and after each verse, speaking of the difficulties, it has this um, chorus. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labour, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. That's what we have if we're in Christ, if we're trusting him. I began by mentioning Warren Wiersbe's title, Where There Is Christ, There Is Hope. Let me ask you again as we finish, do you have that hope? Are you experiencing that hope? I'm not just saying you know it in your head, but are you experiencing and enjoying that hope? If you're not, there could be one of two reasons. It might be that you're not a Christian this morning. You haven't come to repent and turn from sin and trust in Christ. Do that today and enter into that joy of salvation and peace with God and hope for the future. Or it might be that you are a Christian, but the hope is fading And it might be that you're looking at yourself rather than looking at Christ. Let me encourage you to look at Christ, to consider him. Look at what it says in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Are you trusting him? Are you looking to him? Are you experiencing him? Are you enjoying him? All possible, not because of us, but because of Christ in us. 
We're going to sing our final song in a moment. There is a hope that burns within my heart that gives me strength for every passing day. A glimpse of glory now revealed in meagre part, yet drives all doubt away. I stand in Christ with sins forgiven and Christ in me, the hope of heaven, my highest calling and my deepest joy to make his will my home. Let's sing this song together.